You're listening to the MoneyWeb Now podcast series with Simon Brown. Live streamed every weekday at 6.30 a.m. It's Wednesday, 29 November. Berkshire Hathaway's Vice Chairman Charlie Munger died last night at age 99. I'm Simon Brown coming at you live and loud from the MoneyWeb Global Headquarters in Johannesburg, South Africa. On the show today, chatting with Alex Dace from Thumbo Wealth, tough Bidvest trading update uh, and Stephen Uti stocks results. Uh, Connie Bloom from Mesh.Trade, rising potential of uh, tokenization using blockchain technology. This might be interesting. And then uh, Bryn Hattie, we're talking here the four pillars of of capital. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. Morning headlines from MoneyWeb. Here's how big Cotton On's SA business really is inside the fiercely private Australian retail operation. Business day, 11 miners die in darkest day of Implat's history. Accident raises questions about safety of mining in SA, which has been plagued by deaths and injuries. Morning markets, the US was green, S&P up 0.1%, NASDAQ up 0.3%. Over in the east, also green, Sydney and Tokyo, both up 0.1%. Commodities mostly very green, gold, 2065, Brent, 8165, platinum, 948, palladium is your red, $1,067 an ounce, Rand, 1858, Bitcoin, 38,000, 10 cent of 0.9% in the Hong Kong lunch break, and top 40 opening call, looking for a green open, 90 points or 0.13% to the upside. MoneyWeb now on the money. Also available on podcast. Turning now with uh, Alex Dace from Thumbo Wealth. Alex, appreciate the early morning. Bitverse uh, trading update just for the four months. It was at their AGM. The market didn't like it. Knocked it off some 10%, which is one of the biggest falls in over a decade for them. But it really, I mean, the 15 PE was a little bit hefty. And it really is a very tough trading environment that they're operating in. Good morning, Simon. That certainly is the case. I think if your interest rates are in South Africa, that means that valuation should be quite low. So when you have a P of 15, it means you are pretty much pricing for perfection in the South African context. So unfortunately, what we got yesterday wasn't that. I mean, the tone was was cautious with volumes and margins low than anticipated. Specifically in the consumer-facing business, there's some pressure there. Overall, in the group, you see GP margins coming under pressure. That means there's an inability to pass through inflation to, to, cust- to your customers. Mm. Revenue, I saying that, is still expected to grow at perhaps at lower levels than before. They did highlight that travel and hospitality is doing quite well. Uh, we know, of course, big rent makes it quite interesting for, for foreigners to visit. Um, the likes of freight, financial services doing still reasonably well. But where the issues are is and branded products, commercial products, and specifically uh, automotive, where they do have lots of excess stock. We all know high interest rates. A lot of people are buying less cars, as well as being overstocked in the renewable energy sales. I think that's a theme you're probably going to see a lot uh, going forward. Remember, last few months load shedding has been lower, mm-hmm. regardless of the last couple of weeks. So, you know, that is an issue. Um, and as a result, there's high working capital, which I referred to in the update. So, oh, the last thing I want to highlight there is also the interest cost uh, is higher in the business. Of course, they've done quite a few acquisitions. So, debt, of course, being quite expensive combined with high working capital. So, overall, yeah, certainly a disappointing update. But you have to be cognizant from they're coming from a very high base. They have done well. And the economy is very weak, as you alluded to. So it's it's 
but yeah, I think the price now reflects that, and perhaps some investors were a bit too optimistic. Yeah, I, I take your point on that. They had had a really, really strong run, and, and, and in part helped by that that solo, which is now, as you say, overstocked. Stefanuti stocks the results. I mean, reading through the results, I can't help really thinking that the, the big story here really is that what 1.6 billion ESCOM claim, and perhaps that matters more than actually the the operational side. I mean, is there something here that catches your eye on the operations at Steph Stocks? Yeah, 100% correct. Uh, it's all about the, the claim against ESCOM. So for those that you know, don't, can't, can't remember, the 2020 ESCOM report came out and said that they pretty much overpaid a billion mm. for the specific joint venture. So now uh, they do have a claim, claim five and claim six. Claim five is up until December 2019, and then after that. But in a nutshell, the claim they have against ESCOM it's about 1.6 billion, and that excludes the interest. So it's very sizable. Um, that's the only reason, really, the banks are keeping the business alive because it's technically insolvent as it is. Um, but if they do find this big inflow of cash, then you know, theoretically, they could be out of the woods from the bankers, and there could be some equity value for sh- for shareholders. Um, but it, it, it's obviously quite a binary outcome and a very uncertain outcome because you don't know who is right and what what the outcome is going to be in arbitration case. So. Very difficult to say. Um, I, pref- I haven't done really the work on the business. So for me, it's difficult to say if I think Stephen News got a high probability or not. So for now, I prefer to sit on the sidelines and, and follow it as the news comes out. Yeah, I, I take your point on that. I mean, market cap of 200 million, that, that claim really is what it's all about. And as you say, it, it's not impossible as an outsider to really get a sense of which way it'll go. We'll leave it there. Alex Dace from Thumbo Wealth. Always appreciate the early morning. And our question today on LinkedIn and X, talking that Bidvest trading update. Stock down almost 10%. As far as I can tell, it's their worst day in like 15 years. Uh, outside of when, of course, they did some unbundling. Do you hold the conglomerate? Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. Hear that? Nothing. Your money can do more when it blocks out the noise, as hard as it is these days. When you invest in the Standler Balanced Cautious Fund, we manage the risks so that you can see stable inflation-beating returns through market cycles. Invest with more certainty at standler.com forward slash more. Stanlib is an authorized financial services provider and a registered manager. MoneyWeb now on the money. I'm chatting with Connie Bloom, CEO and co-founder of Mesh.Trade. Connie, appreciate the time today. Tokenization, a crypto DeFi phrase that I'm hearing more and more in recent months. Let's start off with the, the obvious place, which is what is tokenization? Tokenization is a broad spectrum term that's used in this very idyllic world called the blockchain, mm. which is basically a catch-all phrase when we take any assets, whether it's an artwork, property, an ETF, a piece of gold, and we wrap it into something called a token. So a token is just something that brings together the rights and obligations of an asset so we can trade it very easily with each other. And that gives, I mean, one of the big pluses there is going to be liquidity. And I imagine, you know, particularly against more traditional assets, if I think you mentioned a painting there, if I by some chance owned a Van Gogh, they're hard and chunky to sell. I could slice it up into a million pieces, make it more accessible. Yes, absolutely. You can break it up into as many pieces as you want to. 
So it's almost the analogy of when you walk into that beautiful art gallery that you just mm. mentioned and you see this, this massive painting in front of you. And I think we've all had that moments of <laughs> sheer delight, but also sheer desire. And we all know that we don't have the account balance to always buy a cappuccino, nonetheless a Van Gogh. So what tokenization then does, it takes this big asset hanging on the wall and it breaks it down into smaller, more consumable pieces. There's also a part in the, the traditional financial world where they also call it fractionalization. Mm. So when you log onto some of your trading systems, you can also buy a 10 rand of a Facebook share, or sorry, Meta now, it's no, no yeah. longer Facebook. So we can all get access to more assets that we wouldn't previously have access to. There's many benefits. One is I can buy the painting, which I otherwise couldn't. I imagine it reduces costs quite significantly, and I imagine it reduces time to transact. It absolutely does. Jenny, when I look at tokenization of any assets, what it does bring forth is three main things. Like you previously mentioned, making an asset accessible for all. Mm -hmm. We also bring in transparency, but also ease of use. And sometimes ease of use is also cheaper, but it's definitely quicker, transparent, easier to hold, easier to transact. All of those benefits come through when you tokenize an asset and start interacting with it around a digital platform as well. Is this piggybacking on existing blockchain? We've seen that with NFTs or is it bespoke blockchains for perhaps each product or perhaps for the concept? So blockchains are becoming very interesting in its obfuscation. No longer is there just the Bitcoin blockchain mm -hmm. or the Ethereum blockchain. We're definitely seeing specialization in blockchains also occurring. So the same concept of where you would have a Oracle, which is a good storing system for, let's say, documents and mass data, MongoDB database, a Google database, Amazon database. All these databases are used for a specific reason. And yes, they can also be used for other reasons, but they're not maybe as efficient or effective with those use cases as what they previously were. So we are seeing more and more blockchains coming in and specializing in a group of assets. And generally, when we're looking at financially based assets, which is currently a very big race and hot topic in the tokenization industry, there are a couple of blockchains that are standing out head and shoulders above the rest. You will always see your Ethereum blockchain doing mm -hmm. some interesting things just because there's mass liquidity. So a lot of people and a lot of people trading on that blockchain. But interesting blockchains such as your Stellar and your Solano blockchains are also coming through to service this industry a bit more elegantly. But yet again, the Stellar and Solano blockchains aren't always the best when it comes to your NFTs that you just mentioned. Stellar is actually the best blockchain for currencies. Yeah. So it is very interesting to see how these different chains are becoming very relevant. But now interoperability is the big problem statement of the day. I get you on that. So they can talk to each other. Any sense of how big this market is in, in old-fashioned sort of dollars or czar? <laughs> it's an interesting market because it's not that big just yet. So if we had to compare it to something like gold or Apple share, I would actually say that this market is around a tenth of the size of the Apple equity market, which is interesting once you start benchmarking it in such a manner. And we all know that Apple is worth a couple of billion. 
And just to put that into further perspective of how small the Apple market is, the global debt market is around $150 trillion at this stage. So it becomes dwarfed by the size of the rest of the capital markets. But it is something that is making a lot of waves because there's a lot of people that, yet again, it's transparent, it's easy to use, it's accessible. So therefore, more and more people are flocking into the crypto market. And I believe that it will grow quite aggressively in the next couple of years. We'll leave it there. Connie Bloom, CEO of Mesh.Trade. Appreciate the time today. Your money knows that reaching new heights means turbulence. But what if you don't have to feel it? Our partnership with J.P. Morgan Asset Management gives you access to a broad range of global strategies. So when you invest in Stanlib's Global Multi-Strategy Diversified Growth Fund, your money can withstand the ups and downs caused by market fluctuations. Seek more returns at stanlib.com forward slash more. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. MoneyWeb now on The Money. Chatting with Bryn Hattie, Partner and Chief Investment Officer of Stonehenge Fleming Investment Management SA. Bryn, appreciate the time today. Your fifth thought leadership report has just come out. Four pillars of capital 2023, managing risk in an age of upheaval. Those four pillars, financial, intellectual, social, cultural, they're separate, but they're all equally important, both well, in wealth creation as well as intergenerational wealth. Yes, that's correct, Simon. Just briefly, let me just tell you briefly what the different pillars refer to. The financial pillar is kind of the most obvious one, and I think it's the thing that most families do focus on. And really, that's the tangible assets and investments that have a quantifiable financial value. The intellectual capital, it talks to the accumulated skill, knowledge, experience, and leadership of the family, and really how that's applied to the management of wealth the contribution to society, and then the individual fulfillment of the family members and collective well-being. The third pillar being social is the way in which the family, its brand and business interests relate to and engage with society and the communities in which they live. And then lastly, the cultural pillar is really what brings the family together through shared values and perspectives, and also then the governance framework used for the maintenance and preservation of the family as an entity. And ultimately all fitting together. Your last report was 2018. A lot has happened since then. And not surprisingly, respondents identified poor investment outcomes and political risks as two of the top challenges that they are worried about at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense if you look at the world. I mean, if you think about what we've been through, we've been through obviously the COVID bust and then Mm -hmm. boom. We've had this period of extremely high inflation, the highest we've had in decades. And then also it feels like there's a general dearth of good political institutional leadership globally. And that's, you know, that's not just a South African phenomenon. This is a global phenomenon. If we look, you know, across the families, we split them out regionally. For me, the sort of political and institutional one is very interesting that in in the Africa region, you know, 84% of families don't trust the political institutional leadership in their jurisdiction, mm-hmm. which kind of you know, makes sense. Africa, in many senses, that I mean, we sit here in Southern Africa and we see that. What about other areas of the world? Are we seeing the same sort of concerns around leadership, both political and institutional? Yes, this is very much a global concern. If we look at our families around the world, in the Americas, it's as high as 70% that don't trust political institutional leadership in their jurisdictions. 
in the UK, just over 50%. Mm-hmm. And it's only really Europe where it's around 20% that our families are kind of more comfortable with the political institutional leadership in their jurisdiction. Okay, but that is quite wildly fascinating. Respondents also adopting values, and of course this is part of those four pillars you talk about, particularly the social and the cultural. Investing in sort of responses to climate change, social inequality, even poor corporate governance, and concerns around that growing. And this is very much a shift to ESG, which to me really is perhaps almost at the core of intergenerational wealth. What's interesting is it's really happening in spite of what's happened from an investment perspective. Mm-hmm. The ESG space has gone through its own boom and then bust yeah. following COVID. But still we're seeing, you know, of our families that has gone up from 70% up to 84% now of families say that values influence their investment choices. So I don't think the actual practical investments are happening as quickly as that, but it's definitely becoming more of a consideration. And I think, as you mentioned, as the next gen get more involved in wealth and the purpose of wealth, this is definitely becoming more of a consideration for families. Yeah, that shift from boomers to millennials and the importance of having a clear sense of purpose. The wealth accumulation is hugely important, but once you've accumulated, there needs to be that sense of purpose as a collective. Definitely so. So I think the way our families look at it from our responses, just under 50% of our families have an agreed set of values, so mm-hmm. how the family operates from a value perspective, and 36% have an agreed purpose of wealth. We think that should be higher, but it's definitely increasing over time because it really is it's, it's that purpose of wealth. You know, you have this pot of money. What is the purpose of it? What is it that's going to keep the family together? What drives the future of the family, it's very important and it is increasing, but we still believe that purpose of wealth should be higher amongst our families. Yeah, I take that point, the, the what to do with it now. We'll leave it there. It's Bryn Hattie, partner and chief investment officer, Stone Age Fleming Investment Management SA. Really appreciate the time. That's it for today. We're chatting with Invicta CEO Stephen Joffe yesterday on Group Results. Uh, the stock's been going sideways. The chart is literally 18 months of, of, of sideways, although, as Capital Sigma pointed out on Twitter, uh, and the JSC sideways is the new winning. We asked you if you held Invicta. Uh, over half said, nope, not for you. A third said, yeah, absolutely great business. The rest say, no, you prefer others. Have your vote, have your say, LinkedIn and X. The show is brought to you by Stanlib. Visit stanlib.com to get in touch with one of their investment specialists. Stanlib Asset Management is an authorized financial services provider. We're live every weekday morning. The MoneyWeb website's in the app, 6.30 a.m. podcast, just after 7. Thanks to my team, Eddie, Nobuchle, Nicole, to you for listening, my guests for their time. My name is Simon Brown. This is MoneyWeb Now. We'll chat again tomorrow, rules-based investing. You've been listening to another MoneyWeb Now podcast, posted every weekday at 7 a.m. on moneyweb.co.za. MoneyWeb Now, on the money.